I never got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which is something which has never been revealed to the public. This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. I'm Aaron Gullius. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No preconceptions, no snark, no belief, no debunking, no pseudonyms. This is Encounter 603, Martian from the Rear. In this episode, we're headed to Europe, where we're going to look at a case that I've always found particularly interesting. They're interesting, it is interesting to me, not because of the mystery of what might have happened, as is the case with something like the Flatwoods Monster, but rather because of what it might mean for the perception of the UFO phenomenon, as well as the human dimension to our understanding of potentially otherworldly... All right, that, that sounded very pretentious. It's just a really interesting hoax, and I really like it, and I think you will too. It involves a supposed contactee, supposedly called Cedric Allingham, who supposedly wrote a book. There's a lot of supposition in there, right? Let's look at why. Okay, let's cast our minds back to the exciting days of the early to mid-50s when George Adamski was on the scene and the whole contactee thing was fairly new. In 1954 there appeared a book called Flying Saucer from Mars by a guy named Cedric Allingham. Now, in it, Allingham declared that he had encountered a human being in a flying saucer from, yeah, that's right, Mars. Now, this is going to sound really awkward and probably made up, but I swear it's not. I cannot find my copy of Flying Saucer from Mars. Honestly, it's gone. To be fair, I'm actually kind of surprised I don't lose more books because uh, I'm pretty disorganized about that kind of stuff sometimes. Fortunately, uh, the tale was summarized in a number of Flying Saucer publications from the time that I can find. Here's the terse, skepticism-tinted report from our old pal Coral Lorenzen and the APRO Bulletin. Cedric Allingham reports that he saw a 50-by-20-foot saucer near him between Lossiemouth and Bucky, Scotland, last February 18th at 3.30 p.m. A man wearing a tunic, quote, like a coat of mail, jumped out and approached him. Man about 5'9", about 32, short, dark hair. One peculiarity was, quote, his nose, or rather two small tubes which emerged from his nostrils, connected by a metal bar no thicker than a match, end quote. Allingham took snaps which, when developed, showed only blurred but surprisingly human-looking back of a man, but saucer looked like a badly poached egg. Through hand signals, spaceman indicate that he was from Mars, allowed Allingham to touch saucer which felt warm. Spaceman then entered saucer, which rose with a slight whoosh, then disappeared. Short but fun. The detail about the tubes from the nostrils is one of the weirdest things you may find in such an otherwise vanilla contactee story, and the similarities to George Damsky's tale are, are striking and obvious down to the sign language explanation of where the guy comes from. 
Time Magazine, of all things, picked up the story, and because I'm cheap and don't want to pay for access to the Time Magazine archives, I now turn to the March 1955 issue of Saucer Sentinel, a newsletter published out of Saginaw, Michigan. In their February 14th issue, the book editors of Time Magazine have reviewed Flying Saucer from Mars, the new 153-page book written by Cedric Allingham and published by the British Book Center. As Mr. Allingham tells it, one day, while he was out birdwatching, a 50-foot saucer suddenly landed near him, and a tall man jumped out. The two had a short discussion about several things, including politics. Then the Martian, Allingham determined he was from Mars when he drew a picture of the sun and the outer planets, and the stranger pointed to the fourth planet and then to himself, jumped back into the saucer, which zoomed off. From Times Report, quote, England's eagerest astronauts, the slide-ruled devotees of the British Interplanetary Society, hoot at the book's scientific label. Politely, they suggest that author Allingham has a highly susceptible imagination or that somebody has elaborately hoaxed him. But if critics point out that saucer pictures have been faked in the past with lampshades, garbage can covers, and trap shooting targets tossed in the air, such books as his apparently answer a deep and widespread yearning for marvels. Allingham's new book is a worthy successor to Flying Saucers Have Landed. The remark that it's a worthy successor to Flying Saucers Have Landed is a good reminder of how early this was in the contactee era. As we've seen in other episodes, in the most simple terms we can sort of break it down into, Adamski's story was was first. It hit, it hit first. We'll say that. It hit first in a big way. Imitators came after. And Allingham was one of the first, if not the earliest imitator, who got his story into print. It was 1954. This is a weird thing because... Publication dates are often unclear. We know the year, but we might not know the month. If we know the month, we don't know the day. If we know the month, day, and the year, we know when it was published, in quotes, but that doesn't tell us when it got into people's hands, right? So to Saucer fans of the mid-50s, it probably seemed, this is how I sort of imagine it, Adamski's book comes first. And then a bunch of imitators sort of land in a big clump from Allingham to to Truman Bethram to, to others. With distribution and transportation issues of the time, uh, muddling the order in which the public experienced these things, all we can really say for sure is that Adamski was the first of, of the contactee era contactees that people probably heard about. Did somebody hear about Cedric Allingham's story before they heard about Truman Bethram or, or vice versa? Maybe. Depends on which books they were into and which books they were reading and which books they were able to get their hands on. A good, a really good, longer summary of the book um, appeared in the spring 1955 issue of Saucerian. Yes, Saucerian. Gray Barker's excellent and excellently written UFO magazine. The review, like this episode, was titled Martian from the Rear, for reasons that will become apparent, and now you know where I got the title of the episode, which, which sounds, I'm exceedingly fuddy-duddy-ish, but, but it sounds a bit prurient, doesn't it, Martian from the Rear? That doesn't seem appropriate, and I hope I don't have to put an explicit tag on the podcast for saying the word rear in, uh, in any sort of context. Sounds a bit, well, a, a bit off. But anyway, 
Here's Gray Barker. In 1609, the brain trust was held by the clergy. If one sought an education, it was to train for the church. Thus was the monopoly on education held by organized religion. Today, scientists are the intellectual heroes, with physics the enthroned god. Since the clergy in those days represented intellectual authority, it was they who were asked to look through Galileo's marvelous telescope. Which of you had stricken the inventor with awe as he saw the moons of Jupiter, and came to the realization that the heavenly bodies did not revolve around the Earth? Galileo had begun to realize that the solar system consisted of the arrangement we recognize today. But intellectual authority, disturbed by an inventor and thinker who had come before his time, refused to look through the old man's wonderful lenses. Finally, when some churchmen did take a look, they averred the moons were not there at all. Cedric Allingham, who says he had an actual contact with a Martian in Scotland in 1947, sees an historical parallel. Scientists of today, who represent intellectual authority in this materialistic age, refuse to believe in flying saucers and men from Mars, even though saucers have been seen as clearly as the satellites of Jupiter ever were, and more so. They have also been photographed of Ares Allingham, who presents a series of remarkable pictures he snapped of the Martian saucer descending from the sky and on the ground. Although Scotland had the honor of the location, Allingham boasts of the distinction of being the first Englishman to meet a man from outer space. George Adamski of Mount Palomar, California, philosopher and scientist, was the first American, and Allingham supports the Adamski story 100%. Allingham, whose main occupation is writing mystery thrillers, has gone to Scotland in February 1954, presumably to relax and recover his health after leaving a sanitarium. He wasn't thinking of saucers, though news of the discs hadn't intrigued him for some time. He was pursuing his hobby, birdwatching, when his eyes fell upon much more interesting prey. A flying saucer, which first flew around in the sky elusively, but much to his surprise, came in for a landing about four hours later. It was almost a spitting image of the craft the Damsky Saucerman arrived in, complete with portholes and a spherical landing gear similar in texture to rubber. A sliding panel opened and a man jumped out. I raised my arm in salute, he did the same, and then for a while we stood staring at each other. The man, except for his one-piece suit and the breathing tubes in his nostrils, could have passed as an Earthman. Had he been dressed similarly though his skin was a bit too tan for an Englishman's and his forehead was quite high. The author admits that he is not a good hand at telepathy, the customary method of conversing with space visitors, so he tried the old and tested method of drawing a picture of the solar system and pointing at the planets. Other things Allingham learned from the Martian. Martian canals are artificial, though he forgot to ask him if the canals were pipelines. Mars is short of water. Venusians also have saucers, and they and the Martians visit back and forth, probably pool their scientific resources. They also land on our moon. The saucer man wanted to ask questions, too. He wanted to know, through the author's clever translation of his sign language, if the peoples of Earth were about to start another war, to which Allingham answered that he wasn't sure, but he hoped not. The Martian also wanted to know if we were ready to go to the moon and looked serious when told we were. When Allingham asked if he could have a look inside the saucer, the Martian declined in a nice, firm way and hastily decided to leave. 
He motioned for Allingham to stay back a considerable distance while he took off. The author presumed the propulsion drive of the saucer was dangerous if one got too close to it. He had touched the saucer without the shock Adamski received when he got too close to the Venusian craft, and he assumed that saucers are dangerous to touch only while the motors are running. The Martian saucer was resting on the ground with the motor cut off. Though the author, with the Martian's permission, obtained a fairly clear shot, he is not an expert photographer, of the saucer on the ground. He was so interested in talking with the spaceman that he forgot to take the picture until he was walking back towards the saucer. As a result, the first authentic photograph of a spaceman is a remarkably blurred rear view. But we should be careful of accepting every saucer photo that comes along, the author warns us. So many of them are fakes. Some skeptics have accused both him and Adamski of rigging up a combination of a table lamp, some table tennis balls, and other mundane fittings to produce their saucer photos. But can they help it, he points out, if the saucers were designed that way? The saucer men are not supermen, nor are they spirits, but simply men who have progressed beyond man's stage. They are not selfish like Earthmen. They know how much trouble man would cause if he ever reached Mars or Venus. Yet they still want to cooperate with us. They stepped up their visits to Earth when they discovered we had exploded an atomic bomb and have been observing us ever since. Gradually, they will make themselves known to Earthmen until such a time when they will openly contact man and lead him out of his present stupidity along the path of peace and progress. Personally, we prefer Martians to Venusians. If they are, as described in this and the Adamski book, the Martians seem to put on fewer airs and are not possessed, it would seem, with the messiah complexes as the Venusians appear to be. When met, Martians don't seem to give Earthmen goose pimples of ecstasy. And this Martian's hair was short. No small matter of comfort when you're all alone with a spaceman. Allingham was not entirely alone, though. It turned out later, James Duncan, a local fisherman, had seen most of it happen from a nearby hill and gave the author a signed statement to that effect. The author has considerable scientific knowledge, according to the book jacket, also knows something of astronomy. Many of his views and accounts of other saucer happenings, many of which have been told before, introduce the account of the Martian meeting. With the first saucer under his belt, Allingham is now quite enthusiastic about the subject and wants to see more. He's begun to make a collection of sightings and plans to come to California this year where he is almost certain he can run into more saucers and spacemen. Well, in the U.S., perhaps Mr. Allingham will further spread his story of meeting a Martian, dispelling some of the popular disrepute in which many people still hold stories of men and machines from space. Perhaps he can tell the story to millions via our wonderful media of radio and television. We hope he can tell his story to everyone. Yes, that was long, but Gray Barker's writing is, in my opinion, always worth whatever time you spend on it. So what happened to Sidric? Did he write another book? Did he go to America? Did he tell everybody about the Martians? No. No, he didn't. But some people did see him. He did appear once, um, and we know this from a letter to American researcher Leonard Stringfield to Lord or from Lord Dowding who was the former Air Chief Marshal of the Royal Air Force during World War II. Stringfield reprinted this letter 
in his 1957 book uh, Inside Saucer Post 30 Blue, which was published in 1957. And he explained that the letter was in response to his request to Lord Dowding asking about the evidence for the extraterrestrial nature of saucers that the British might have uncovered. In answer to the request contained in your letter of May 17th, I would refer to you to a book entitled Flying Saucer from Mars, published by Frederick Mueller Limited, London. So far as I am aware, this is the only recorded instance of a landing in Britain, followed by a personal contact with the occupant of a UFO. It also contains the only photograph which I have seen of a visitor claiming to be from outer space. We got Mr. Cedric Allingham, the author, to lecture to our local flying saucer club, and we were all strongly impressed that he was telling the truth about his actual experiences, although we felt that he might have been mistaken in some of the conclusions which he drew from his interview. The general views which he expressed on UFOs in his book will also fail to gain universal agreement, although I am sure that they were genuinely held by him. The circumstances of the encounter were in many respects similar to the adventure of the two Norwegian girls picking berries in a wood, with which you will doubtless be familiar. Unfortunately, Mr. Allingham died in Sweden last year. So, by 1957, Allingham was dead, but he had shown up to talk to Lord Dowding's group, and I have to note that Dowding, as a significant figure in British aerospace history, has been trotted out continually over the decades as some kind of evidence of high-level official interest in flying saucers in the UK. However, given the fact that he's citing flying saucer from Mars without a great deal of irony leaves me a bit skeptical of his judgment, maybe. So, there were only two other people who claimed to have met Allingham in person. One was a fisherman named James Duncan, the guy that Barker talked about who had seen the whole thing from the hill. The other was British astronomer Patrick Moore, who claimed he met Allingham at that mysterious saucer organization meeting. Attempts by contemporary writers to find any trace of James Duncan come up with nothing. Moore discussed meeting Allingham in his 1959 book, Rockets and Earth Satellites, and for non-British listeners, it may be a good time to explain who Moore was. Born in 1923, Patrick Moore was an astronomer in Britain who hosted a long-running astronomy series on the BBC called The Sky at Night, and saying it was long-running doesn't do it justice. It has the world record for the longest-running TV show with the same presenter. It aired with Moore hosting it from April of 1957 until January 7th, 2013, an episode that aired a month after Moore's December 9th, 2012, death at age 89. Moore was a science fiction fan. He had a cameo in a Doctor Who episode in 2010 um, for nerds among you like me. The episode was the 11th hour, and it was the first episode with Matt Smith as the doctor. And in, in general, Patrick Moore was, was skeptical about the flying saucer scene. In fact, his first television appearance back in the 50s was on the subject of UFOs and, and being a bit skeptical. Probably the best, I'm an American, so an American equivalent to Patrick Moore, there isn't really one. Um, not unless Neil deGrasse Tyson becomes a lot more fun and lives another, like, billion years or something. Carl Sagan, a more fun Carl Sagan, I guess. He was a popularizer of astronomy, an expert in the subject, but also adept at popularizing things. So Patrick Moore, 
knew Allingham, but almost nobody else did. Things percolated. People wondered about Allingham. People forgot about Allingham. And I can't say that name consistently, so don't post a comment or leave me an email saying, you didn't really pronounce Allingham's name very consistently. I know that. Um, So in 1986, there's an article in Magonia, which is a zine dedicated to saucers and other weird stuff. And it had a story by Christopher Allen and Stuart Campbell looking into the whole question of who Cedric Allingham was. Few took the book seriously. For one thing, it contained photographs that were clearly contrived. In one, the supporting wire could be seen, and another showed an out-of-focus back view of the retreating alien. Although mysticism is absent and objectivity attempted, the book is badly written with a comic conversation between Allingham and the Martian. The Flying Saucer subculture welcomed this best-selling but outrageous book as proof that their beliefs were justified, and many sought out the author. Unfortunately, he proved very elusive. When the book first appeared in October 1954, he was said to be touring the USA and hoping to visit Adamski. Later, his publishers said he had been taken seriously ill with tuberculosis and that he had been admitted to a Swiss sanatorium. Early in 1956, it was announced that he was dead. Allingham's sole witness, a fisherman named James Duncan, likewise could not be traced. Science writer Robert Chapman, in his book UFO, concluded that no such author ever existed, and the whole story was, quote, probably the biggest UFO leg pole ever perpetrated in Britain. A hoax? In the world of flying saucers? That's, that's almost too much to bear. So if there really was no flying saucer, was there a Cedric Allingham? And if not, who was it? Here are Allen and Campbell again. Similarities were noticed between the author's style and that of Moore, and a search of Moore's writings turned up several references to Allingham. In one book, Moore actually says he knew Allingham, having met him at a lecture the latter gave to a UFO club in Tunbridge Wells. In fact, Moore is the only person to claim to have known this mysterious man. Thus, Moore became a prime suspect and inquiries revealed that others also suspected him. Now, they don't mention that Lord Dowding had claimed to have met him, but we'll leave that aside for the moment. The authors detailed their attempts to prove this hypothesis by comparing words and phrases written by both authors, and they also attempted to rule out other suspects as well. The most well-known is uh, science and science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke, who Gray Barker mentioned. Attempts to find the real Allingham led the pair to a writer named Peter Davies, who admitted that he had been hired to revise the book in such a way as to disguise noticeable elements of the writing style, and he also admitted that he was the guy in disguise on the book jacket of the book. And he's the guy who went to the UFO club that Lord Dowding also attended. Davies, however, did not reveal the name of the author, but the investigators later found out that Davies was in fact a friend of Moore. The most convincing evidence, however, lay in the fact that in the picture of Allingham, the author photo for which Davies posed, the telescope in the picture, and you can see that author shot at saucerlife.com, is exactly the same, the telescope is, is exactly the same as the one owned by Moore at the same time, and It's featured in a photograph, and I've got a link to the Magonia article on the website, so you can check that out for yourself. 
Moore was not impressed with their efforts and threatened to sue anyone who claimed he'd written the book. To my knowledge, however, he never did. But what's the motivation? Why would Patrick Moore do this? He wasn't super well-known in 1954, but he was known to some degree. Why would he undertake this hoax? Among flying saucer hoaxers, there have been those like Adamski who told their tales in order to promote their own peculiar views about life and the universe. Here we have a public figure, he was not so public at the time, who invented a story which reinforces a myth which otherwise he condemns. If the object was to demonstrate the ease with which contact tales could be invented, then the object has been defeated by Moore's failure to own up. It seems more likely that it was, as Davies has admitted, an attempt to capitalize on the public interest generated by the Adamski book, and that Moore's sense of humor got the better of him. Probably his silence is due to embarrassment. He will neither admit nor deny responsibility, even though it is now an open secret that he was the author. Whatever his motives, the joke has gone on far too long. And to finish up, a quote from author and scholar David Halperin, author of the very fine novel Journal of a UFO Investigator, which I am fairly certain would appeal to anyone who enjoys this show. Is it possible that Moore's long-running polemic against UFOs bespoke a deep emotional engagement with the UFO and what it stands for? An engagement which Moore couldn't consciously accept in himself that found alternative expression in Flying Saucer from Mars? Can we conceive, to use the Jungian language, that Cedric Allingham was the repressed shadow of Patrick Moore? It's long seemed to me that the vociferous UFO debunker, Donald Menzel and Philip Klass are outstanding examples, is no less a part of the UFO phenomenon than the UFO witness or proponent. We have to understand them all if we're truly to understand the UFO. The tangled partnership of Patrick Moore with Cedric Allingham is a particularly interesting and instructive case. And I've got nothing more erudite that I can add to that except, yeah, it is. An interesting story that I, I recalled when, when researching this show is um, that I, I knew I had written about Cedric Allingham at some point and his contact story at some point. So I went back to seminar papers and, and my, my master's thesis from graduate school wondering where, honestly, where where's my 15 pages of Cedric Allingham that I can plunder for this podcast episode? And I found nothing except a slight reference to there being a Cedric Allingham who basically told an Adamski-like story. And I was thinking about why I didn't write more, because I thought I did. And it turns out, I think I did. I think I did write more than that. And then I took it all out, because no matter how much I dug, not having the resources that are on the internet now, you know, close to 20 years ago, that I couldn't figure out who this Allingham guy was and what his deal was and what his backstory was and, and anything else he'd ever written. And I thought I should probably just take it all out since I couldn't really say anything more about him. But I wanted to keep his name in there so nobody could come back at me and say, well, you didn't talk about Cedric Allingham, did you? Yeah, back to work, kid. So that's my little story about about sort of at a at a sort of gut level thinking there's something not quite right about this story. But in the end, I'm left kind of to wonder, out of all the the debunkers and scientists and, and, and people out there who've who've said, you know, lousy stuff about our UFOs, um, which one of them is leading 
a double saucer life. Next time, we're staying in Europe, but heading to Spain. Come back for Encounter 604. Um, what? There are links to articles discussed, as well as archives of all past episodes of the show at saucerlife.com, and you can follow along on Twitter and Instagram at saucerlife. The Saucer Life Encounter 603 was written and produced by me, Aaron Gullius, and is a Chizo Media production. You can subscribe to The Saucer Life on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app through the RSS feed on the website. Ratings and reviews on iTunes and other platforms are always appreciated, and we thank those of you who have done so. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you. Thank <laughs> you.